At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. You're listening to the Bow Hunter Planet podcast, your gateway to the wonderful world of archery. Hey guys, welcome to the Bowhunter Planet podcast. Uh, and today we got Jared Lurk from the Drury's, which is really exciting because I always love to talk to you, Jared, during this time because I basically just want to know what's going on. You know, it's been such a while since we had Jan, but at the same time, the fall's here, right? We're hitting this hard. You guys are already been in the field, I'm sure, and it just keeps going. So I guess tell us real quick what's what's going on. What's new at the Drury's right now? Well, so Missouri is open, so we're hot and heavy in Missouri. Uh, Henry and I have gone once or twice. Mark's team has capitalized. Perry's killed one. Wade's killed one. I think Terry's gotten close. So that, that's what's going on near term. Missouri opened September 15th. And then prior to that, I went with Wade, which is Mark's cameraman and hired hand. He and I went to Alberta, and we, we mule deer hunted with stick and string cool. uh, with Corey and Tyler Jarvis. And we both connected up there on some really big, impressive mule deer. That would have been the September 1st through the 6th. We flew up on the 31st. And I, I hadn't been to Alberta since 2016. So wow. it's not like riding a bike. Like, it takes a minute to get back into the swing of things. And mule deer hunting is very different than whitetails. Very different. But, but, but a fun, fun trip nonetheless. Yes, sir. Now, so that's what's uh, happening. Yeah. <laughs> so that so when do you guys did you guys already start your your uh, whitetail season or not yet mm -hmm. yeah yeah so we did so mark has a farm in missouri and iowa he's on both sides of the border missouri opened september 15th i own a farm in iowa but I, I moved to missouri so henry and i my son henry who's 11 we just hunted missouri and we may go gun hunt in iowa but yes missouri is open it opened on the 15th and uh, you, i'm gonna answer a question that you may or may not ask if you want the secret sauce to early season whitetails, it's daikon radishes. Like, really? I don't know why, I don't know why, but those suckers will walk through any other damn food source to get to daikon radishes, provided the pH of the soil is correct. Like, I don't have a picture that I could show you, but last two nights ago, Henry and I hunted, and I, I like to set a spot up. Like, imagine you're on the 50-yard line. Of a, of a football field that is an acre not the end zones but just at the gridiron that's one acre so yeah. right in front of me at the 50 yard line to my left i like where i think the deer are coming from i like to have turnips and then to my with the wind the wind is in my face so normally it's a northwest wind so to my north and west is turnips and to my immediate east is radishes and my turnips are two and a half foot tall and the radishes are gone no and, and I don't know what it is. Yes, I, I don't know what it is, but those daikon radishes are magic. They're not, they're not a secret weapon all year. They're magic until they get frost. Then when they get a frost, they, they switch over to turnips and they don't like their radishes anymore. So, That's like, so interesting. Mark and I figured that Yeah, Mark and I figured that out a few years ago. And, but daikon radishes, particularly the second or third year you plant them on a particular farm, it is, they're, they're money, like money. Wow early early season i've it's never heard early that. season that, no, that's awesome that's really good 
Never heard that. That's I'm glad you said that, but I was actually going to ask the question, what do you like better, Missouri or Iowa? <laughs> what, what's the better quality deer? And I obviously, oh, I, if you're hunting Iowa. close to the border, they're crossing the border, but overall. No, no, no. no. Even, even the, like, Mark's farm is like a mile and a half into Missouri. You know, and our Iowa stuff is like 20 minutes inside Iowa. Okay. Even even that, the deer are different in Missouri than in Iowa. So it's a loaded question. The deer can get bigger. The deer get bigger in southern Iowa than they do in northern Missouri, just by and large, simply because the rifle season in Missouri happens at the peak of estrus. Like, oh. it's an, like peak of estrus in Missouri is normally like November 10th or 11th. So like the whitetails never get big. Like they don't get as big as they do in Iowa. And then in Iowa – the gun seasons is well after the peak of the rut. Like the first gun season normally is around like December 3rd, 4th, or 5th. Like it from that perspective. But here's a curveball. I like hunting Missouri better right now because you can crossbow hunt. And I'm a big fan of crossbow hunting for kids or elderly adults. Because uh, my, my son Henry is 11 and he can hit a target at 80 yards like bullseye every single time with our mission uh sublight one so that's why i like missouri right now because they allow crossbow hunting very cool and iowa iowa does not uh it's a large part of it is bringing up the next generation and doing that right so that's a that's a great point for that absolutely Legere, my kids what, uh, were off school on oh go ahead i was gonna ask you about your uh your gear what bow you're using right now and and what what do you think's uh what, what you have coming well a few years ago we switched right so we were with we were with a group out of tucson arizona who renamed remain nameless for a long time and they just had creative differences between them and what they wanted to do with my uncles so we we switched to matthews and i've got the matthews vxr i think it is and uh people raise eyebrows when i say this but i love going out west because what going out west does is it challenges you to to your maximum range so i practiced all summer with my compound bow at 80 and 100 yards and people like no you didn't yeah i did and you want to know why I did that? Because when I got to 50, it was a gimme. Like it was, I knew 100% confident if I could get to 50 and that mule stand up, I was going to kill him because I could hit my rail at 80 and 100 yards. So that yeah. you didn't ask that question, but I answered it anyway. No, that's a great, no, <laughs> thank a you good, for that. Um, do, do you notice, so what, I, what I've kind of noticed, I, I do a lot of crossbow here in Michigan, but what I kind of notice is after the 50-yard line, after that 50-yard mark, the wind plays more of a role at yeah, that 50-yard yeah. so, and beyond. Yeah, absolutely. So I want to – I would never shoot at a white tail with a, either a crossbar or a compound at 80 yards. But my son practices at those distance because we yeah. shoot at 40 and in because of that factor right there. Like I don't want the weather to be a variable. So, yeah, like that arrow uh, weighs a good bit different uh, out of the compound bow than, than – or excuse me, out of the crossbow, my compound bow. So like I'll shoot whitetails at 45 and in right. with a crossbow or vertical, and then I'll shoot mule deer at 60 and in, but I want to be proficient and almost double that distance on the range. Makes sense. Makes a whole ton of sense, actually. So if you, if yes. you can be proficient out longer, then your ethical shots are going to be shorter. Yeah. Yeah. And Wade <laughs> made the comment to me because we were, we were practicing at Corey's at 80 yards and he was like, God, I hope we don't have to shoot at 80. I was like, we won't shoot at 80, but we can get to 50 and 60 on a mule deer. That's the magic circle, 50 and 60 yards. And then when I shot 51, he shot his at 62 and he goes, won't it be fun to see a whitetail at 25 yards? <laughs> like, yeah. Cause then it's a, like, it's a no brainer. Like yeah, it's, it's a, a even then those stupid white tails, yeah. even then those stupid white tails sometimes can drop uh, even at 25 yards. So reactive. 
Yeah, we've had them duck us before. At, at Absolutely. Yards, so for sure. That, that's that's the beauty of a mule deer. By and large, he's not going to duck like a whitetail. I mean, some do, but the rule of thumb don't versus a whitetail. They, the rule of thumb is they always will. It's the rare exception that they duck. Yeah, I, lo so, I love the mule deer hunt too because I'm I'm a big. I love turkey hunting too, and I, I love turkey hunting because oh, you get the kind of spot and you know type of type of hunting rather than whitetail where you're playing wind and sitting around and that kind of stuff. And it's fun. Don't get me wrong; I absolutely love it. But I love the ability to kind of switch it up and and get some walking in and kind of kind of do some spot and stalk from that regards. I think it, I think it keeps you. I think it keeps people interested and it keeps the passion alive a little bit yeah. more. Yeah, a little bit. Longer. Yeah, and it sharpens some skills that you don't necessarily use for whitetails. Like Mark and I will. Uh, tell you till we're blue in the face we are better whitetail hunters because we hunted mule deer out west in alberta like they they made you think about things differently and we became better whitetail hunters for having met and hunted with Corey jarvis at three rivers up there in alberta Canada. that makes sense and then i wanted to comment on the turkeys thing you know my uncle mark is kind of known for killing big deer i will guarantee you if you if you said you can only do one thing for the rest of your life it's hunt goblin turkeys or hunt 200 inch whitetails He's picking goblin turkeys 10 times out of 10. There's <laughs> nothing awesome. better than a goblin turkey in the spring. Yeah, no, I, I've gotten a lot into, more into it over the last couple of years. And uh, yeah, it's inching up there. It's inching up there close to whitetail for sure. I, I've never been elk hunting, but I hear, like I see Michael Waddell say all the time, they're three quarter ton turkeys, you know? So like I, part of why I haven't gone elk hunting yet is one, I'm probably not man enough to do it. And then two, I don't want to get hooked <laughs> on another passion. <laughs> That's an expensive one too. That's <laughs> okay. yeah. I don't like where those a lot more expensive than turkey. <laughs> Absolutely, I'll stick with my twenty-eight pound Missouri Longbeards. So now, have you guys? I I think it was last year or this. So it'd be this year, twenty-two. I think you guys switched over to Scentlock. Is that is that accurate? Yeah, we did it last year at the end of the year. Um, I forget why that. There was like there was some issues with the clothing we were with before, so scent lock and then blocker outdoors. So what's old is new again because I don't know. Fifteen years ago we were with scent blocker when Scott Schultz owned them, and then he mm. sold it to the company that owns scent lock. And I'm 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 impressed with their clothing. Yeah, I was how it's been going. Question, but I'll I'll tell you. That's cool. Yeah, I like the clothing. Yeah, sounds like out of Michigan. It's That's quiet. why. I asked. <laughs> yeah, it's quiet. It they're pro hunter pro american made they're archers that are in charge of it you know where like the clothing company we were with before you couldn't say all of those things like their clothing designers maybe had never hunted ever 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 and that makes a difference versus the, the people that own and operate scentlock are dyed in the wool whitetail hunters like us yeah yeah so they get they're... it they understand and they make clothing for it yeah, that makes complete sense. Yeah, I was just curious how that's going for you guys because sometimes it's weird when you start over with a different brand of clothing. And, you know, we've, we don't really, we've never really had one specific supplier of clothing for us. So it's always been kind of all over. And so I've experienced what it's like to, you know, go from scent lock, scent blocker, element, Under Armour, right? So we've been kind of all up and down. Um, so I know what it's like to swap gear because it's kind of interesting because you don't know what to expect, especially like, is it warm enough and is it going to be, yes. You know, are you going to sweat your butt off? So like those two things you learn right away at what you like, what you don't like, you know, and just go from there. You, you know, if we had our druthers, we would wish never to switch, but you know, sometimes business uh, yeah, dictates that we switch you. and we're happy to be in the scent lock camp. 
I will tell you yeah. that. And they're very happy for us to be there. Yeah, they're and right. Then it's, no, it's no secret that my uncles are not spring chickens anymore. My hope is this is their last apparel company. You know, like <laughs> normally you like to sign 10 to 15 year deals. So my hope yeah. is this is their last apparel company. <laughs> Um, so any news, I know you can't say much about this if, if, if you can, but, um, are you guys, are you guys privy to, or are learned already about what's coming from our friends at Matthews this year? No, we won't learn about that until I think the beginning of November, but, but I know this, they're an engineering company at heart. They, their bows hit hard. Like it just, it's sometimes it's hard for me to pull the arrows out of the target. And I don't, I don't think what's coming new this year will be any different than what they've done in the past. It's just tweaks and processes yeah. and engineering improvements to what they already have. Refine yeah. And it'll be, yeah. yep. Yeah. Refine. I'd be curious go. to see the couple of things Matthews doesn't do. And I'd be curious to see if they go this route at all. They probably won't because in, you know, they are a market leader. So I get the fact that they probably wouldn't change out of that, you know, but there are two areas they haven't really touched. One is the low cost market. They haven't really played too much in there. They got mission, but they don't really have anything in that middle ground. Whereas, um, you know, they're in the couple things, actually. Number one, they don't really have a middle ground or lower ground, maybe a little bit low with the mission, but nothing major in the middle. Right. They also don't have a carbon ground. They didn't touch the carbon yet or haven't even considered it. I don't think they will do it, but we'll see what happens. And they also, I'm curious to see if they ever relaunch a solo cam bow. Cause I find it interesting. That's their main, that was their main bread and butter for many, many years. And I think that for them not to have one kind of crazy in my mind, like I feel like they should have one in their lineup, just one. Um, even yeah. if that means the bow is slower, we get that. We know it's less efficient. We know it's slower, but people, I still think they would sell out. I think people would go ballistic to get a solo cam again. You know, um, there's so many of them they had over the years. I know at that time you guys were with a different brand. If you go back 10 years, but <laughs> they had the Cree, right. they had the, 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 the helium. I mean, they had a lot of great bows, the Z seven that were in that category I'm talking about. So we'll see. And I know that obviously this isn't your call by any means here, but I'm just saying like, I'd be interested to see what they do in the future if they ever go back to those those aspects or not. I I like I said I'm not privy to that, but I do know that we're really tickled to be with Matthews, and they're tickled to have us. And uh, again, my uncles were pretty sensitive about the switch they had to make from our former brand yeah. to Matthews, and we didn't really get any blowback whatsoever. Like a, a lot of the feedback was, "It's about time," you know. Yeah. Like we're happy that you guys switched <laughs> to the premier bow company in North America. Um, so there was a lot of positive feedback from that perspective. No, it makes yeah. sense for uh, both of you guys at the level that you guys are playing on. Yeah, um, two, I wasn't two surprised. Two top-notch companies yeah. that are partnering up together just makes sense for sure. Yes. So, you know, Matt Matthews, we, we do these uh, Golden Arrow Awards where we have, uh, you know, voter choice uh, awards that we do. And I think what Matthews for the last um, three years, two years. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because we, we did them way back when we started in. 2009 as well um for the longest time matthews have always has always been top from a consumer standpoint from a voting perspective so, yeah um, you can't go wrong with that partnership is all that, that's the point that's uh it's a great company you guys are a great company and that uh, just makes sense for sure Thank so let's talk that. about let's we talk about the shows that. real quick i know you guys have a, a <laughs> decent amount of shows which ones do you take play are you on when you're when you're on are you on all of them or a couple of them and, and uh tell us about the the podcast and all that because now you guys have a lot going on there yeah, so uh, my buddy Chase Ralston, who runs Rubline Marketing, he said, Drury's is a, an entertainment company. So we have three television shows, Bow Madness, Critical 
mass of 13. And then Matt and Tim, uh, Tim Kelsvik, who's also the editor-in-chief of DeerCast, they run the 100% Wild podcast. And then uh, we have this new thing that we started, I guess, last year, which is instead of waiting until next season to, to see the fully edited hunt on the outdoor channel, you can see a rough cut. Hey, and welcome to bowhunterplanet.com podcast. Thank you so much for your support and watching this show here on Carbon TV or listening to it wherever you get your podcast. I just want to take a moment to thank the sponsors who help us bring this show to you guys and keep it interesting and fun. I want to thank Tinks, Cat Work Truck, Camp Chef, Cobra Archery, HHA and HHA USA, Mojack, Thorn Broadheads, Victory Archery, Burris, Reveal Trail Cams, Apex Competitions, Heat Hog, Deer Camp Coffee, and Under Armour. Make sure you check out and log on and sign up on the bowhunterplanet.com brand new website. It is simple, it is awesome, and it's a great place to chat bow hunting and archery with a whole bunch of like-minded people. So we'll see you soon, and now, back to the show. Version, literally a week or two after it happens, as well as if you want to actually see the shot and the kill, you can go into DeerCast for the premium members, and you see the shot literally a day after it's killed. Cool. So that's that's kind of what's happening. It's a, it's a, I call it, multimedia offering so multiple different channels to see all of our stuff and learn and then and then we have a pretty big presence on youtube as well that's awesome like a lot of our stuff on youtube and then the other thing people may or may not know is inside the DeerCast app they they actually uploaded all of the old jury outdoors dvds so for the price of what one dvd used to cost annually you get access to all of them so you can go back in time Ooh, and and learn through the cool. evolution of monster bucks and dream season and all those different things that were I think the first Monster Bucks didn't even have DVD. Like I, I remember it came out on the VHS tape. Like we've been That's doing this awesome. so long. Like some of the people listening to this podcast are like, what's he talking about? And it's like, yeah, VHS tape. So if, if, if I still had the tape, I'd have to go find a VCR to play it, which I don't think I could do. Or I can go into the DeerCast app and see it all because it's it's uploaded and redigitized there now. I don't know. You know, I don't know of another industry that um, you'd be able to to do that with where people would – where the content is still relevant. Yeah. Right. The equipment may have changed, Yeah, but what you're hunting is yeah. still the same, you know, 20 years ago, 30 years ago than what it is today. White tailed deer haven't changed how they react, how they think, what they yeah. do instinctually. Yep. Um, so yeah, that, that's, that's actually a, a really good point. Cause I, I don't know another industry that you could actually do that. And where 30, 30 year old content, 20 year old content is still relevant. You know, it's funny. I dug up some notes. I, I moved recently and I dug up some notes the first time I ever went with Uncle Mark. This would have been 1999. And it was in the fall and he was talking about high pressure and cool fronts and how the deer were going to move better. And this is this would have been October time frame. And we were scouting and he was like, damn, I was talking about that shit back then. And he was like, yeah, he's like, that's the basis of deer cast and the algorithm now. And I said, yeah, yeah. so. Uh, we didn't know back then what we know now. If we did, we'd really be dangerous, but we were on the cusp of it back then, or at least he was. Yeah, absolutely. Heck, I was, I was taking cool. notes. I was taking notes. I was 23 years ago, and I wrote notes and still had them. <laughs> That's the so, one thing us. I love about you guys and the shows that you put on is there, there's a there's a system to what you guys do. You know, there's a thought-out process as opposed to you know, us sometimes, Dave and I, and, and a lot of hunters are, are just kind of going out there and, and trying to make the best of the situation. 
but you guys really have kind of this applied science is what I like to call it. It's applied science to what you guys do in regards to where your stand is, where your food source is in relation to your stand, the wind direct, you know, all that kind of stuff is just so well thought out with what you guys do. There's just so much to learn there. I love it. I appreciate that. It's the applied science. Like uh, we really rely on the analytics of past movement and trail camera picks. You know, like a lot of guys will see a deer in the dark of night at three in the morning, go, go shoot him. And it's like, well, why is he there at three in the morning versus what if he was there at seven in the morning? Or if he was there, is he a daylight walker? So those trail cameras really took us to a whole nother level. Cause if you analyze the data and what it's telling you, you basically can utilize them to hunt for you 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And then you take that information synthesize it and come up with a game plan and move forward very cool. so that, that's where that applied science comes from the, hey, Jared, tell us about real, real quickly tell us about the um 100 wild podcast set it looks pretty sweet i, I love sets because yeah. we built a couple different sets for ours and i was just curious like did you is this like in a uh, a pole barn is this like in a uh your offices or what is this yeah so they they just uh they just redid it, if that's what you're referring to. And it's it's in the Drury studio. So the Drury Edit Suite is in St. Peter's, Missouri. Mark used to live there. Terry lives a, a little south of there. And then Matt lives close to there. So there's five or six, maybe seven editors inside that suite. And then one of the back office rooms, they don't have any editors. And they set up the 100% Wild podcast there. Oh, and then cool. it, it, it's actually movable and it's on wheels. So they can move stuff away and bring in a green screen or a black screen if we need to come in and shoot interviews for Bo Madness, which I'm on that cast. I didn't answer that question earlier. Or if they need to shoot interviews for Critical Mass or what have you, the, the, the platform is actually movable so they can film different scenes uh, inside of that same set. Cool. Yeah. yeah, I see it now. I see what you're saying. I, I can, I can kind of envision this now. This is sweet, though. It looks great. They did an awesome job. It's, Love the bright red in there. and the, That looks so cool. They did. It's kind of funny because Uncle Terry, also people don't know this, he, he's an engineer by training. He still owns and operates and runs a construction company. So his crew came in in half a day, and they're actually a concrete <laughs> company, but they came in and did that really quickly. That's he's got awesome. some really fantastic people that work for him. Yeah, It pays to know people for sure. Yeah, that's yeah cool. right. So cool. you've done a lot of yeah. hunting over your life, right? Yeah, Is sir? there anything on the bucket list left to do? Elk. That's, that's an easy answer. So I've killed caribou uh, in the in the Northwest Territories, just south of the Arctic Circle. I've killed a bear, moose, waterfowl, obviously whitetails and muleys, but I haven't been on an elk hunt yet. And so that's the one thing I want to, like, I'm not, I'm five years from 50. And I think on my 50th birthday, I'm going to reward myself with a high-end elk hunt. And probably I wanted to use stick and string because like when you're rifle hunting them, it's past the peak bugling. Like I want to go on and get the full immersive experience. You want experience. the full experience. Yeah. yeah. You, you didn't ask this question, but I'll tell you this. Moose are extremely challenging. Like I don't think a lot of people understand how difficult moose are to hunt simply because of where they live and the lack of them. Like there aren't, like we saw on a 10-day moose hunt, three moose all in all 10 days. And we were in a pretty high-end outfitter wow. i ended up killing like a 58 incher but like they're on tv it looks like there's moose everywhere and the reality of it is there's not that many moose out there and i think wow. the wolves and the high predation uh are, are harder on them than people people realize yeah we we, we have moose in the upper peninsula of michigan we don't have a hunting yeah. season for it 
but uh, that is the one animal in Michigan that has eluded me my whole life is, is finding a Michigan moose. And, uh, but that's right. I mean, <laughs> it's the same here as everywhere. Just to it, see it, it, you mean. There's yeah. not as many. Yeah. Just to see it. There's not as many. Um, the, the numbers are like you were saying, the population isn't many that big. Where, and you would think there's such a big animal, right? They'd be easy to spot and all that kind of stuff. But to your other point, when you, when they're deep in the swamp, deep in the bogs, you're not going to get where they're going. I mean, that's what they were made for. So, and, yeah, and they're not called like an elk. You can call from hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of yards away. The elk, the moose, you cannot do that. Like the call is very, very quiet, and they're not overly callable. So it's mm. yeah, moose hunting is a in an interesting sport. There, I will say this though: they're friggin' delicious. Like I, hear. I do a lot of this and teach my kids about being at the top of the food chain and feeding and providing mooses. Oh my gosh, it was delicious. Yeah, I hear from most pe- people. I would actually first, almost think about going second. back just to get more moose meat back home. Yeah, no, and a lot of it you get too, especially off, off of yeah. the feed. I'm sure, I'm sure. That, but that's where you need to wait until your kid's a little bit older so you yes. can help you pack it out. You know. <laughs> I saw yeah, moose exactly. up in Ontario when we were bear hunting, and I was like, "Whoa, they're huge too." That yeah, it's amazing how big they are. That, that is a common thing that I heard is that that in regards to game meat, moose is usually number one on people's list for taste, yeah. and then then elk, and then it's usually you know it's usually split between yeah, well access deer depending <laughs> on where you are, but then it's split, split between muleys and whitetail. But usually whitetail, what I hear is it's better, and I think that's because they're not they're not as uh, they're not as mobile as what muleys are. You know, at least in the mid, you know, where where you're hunting at, so muleys can cover a friggin' bunch of ground in yeah. a short period of time, like a bunch of it, miles. Whereas whitetails don't necessarily do that, but mule deer, like if you spook them the wrong way, those suckers could be in the next province. <laughs> I Jared, do you hunt? Do you hunt muleys every year or no? I did uh, from 2006 to 2016. I did. Mark and I went on that trip annually. The first that was the first trip we went on, and then. I had a few kids and life kind of got in the way and uh, COVID and all these other things. So I hadn't been since 2016, but I, I look forward to redoing it again every year. It it's, it, we had a fun, Wade and I had a fun trip. Yeah. Mark won't go anymore. So I have to go with Wade. Is that a trip that you, um, is it like uh public land or do you have like a, pro, an outfitter you go to see or. Yeah. I, don't, I think from being a, they call us aliens up there. So from being a non-resident Canadian, you have to be with a Canadian resident. Like, I'm not aware okay. of if you can, like, if you and I wanted to plan a trip, we couldn't just go up there without having an outfitter. Got I, it, got I think it. that's okay. the way that system works. Yeah. So it's Corey Jarvis of Three Rivers Adventures is who we always go with. And we always go that first week of September. Nice. Cool. Yeah. So one last question here, um, sure. hunting with your son, how, how, how much has that really kind of been a, a highlight for you and how does that relate back to, how when you first started hunting because i'm assuming you know with the family that you grew up and you started at a young age as well maybe you didn't i know i didn't but how does that kind of how do those two things kind of compare to each other well so that answer is nuanced so yes i grew up in the family i'll answer the last part of it first uh but mark and terry were busy doing their own thing like i did not get to go with him i went with my dad he knew a lot but but it wasn't until i got to college that i didn't really start learning it at the level that mark and terry knew it and, you know, I, for the uh, two or three years there from 99 to 2000, 2001 to 2002, every weekend, and, and I even scheduled my college schedule around, I would only have classes on like Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. So every Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, Sunday, I was filming Mark in Iowa. So I learned a lot that way by packing around him with 
the camera. And then I got, I started doing it at a high level on my own 2002. And then uh, when I got out of pharmacy school, a lot of my friends bought like cars and houses and all that. I bought ground and I never stopped. <laughs> and, and that has been an advantage to me today. So, so I learned a lot. I started when I was early, but I didn't really learn how to do this until I was 18, 19 and started hanging out with Mark. And, and what's cool is everything I learned, you can got, you all can get now in DeerCast. It's all right there for you. You just have to pay attention and, and learn it from him and Terry. And then to my son part, like I had kind of done this at a pretty high level from 2000 and really with Uncle Mark, I started filming him in 2000. So from 2000 until about 2020, I did it at the, I feel like the highest level was stick and string. And I'll be honest with you, it, it, I didn't have the same passion for it that I did four or five years ago. But with Henry coming on board and now being in third grade, and I, I wanted to wait till he understood, he could have killed a deer when he was six or seven, but I waited till he was nine because I wanted him to understand what he was doing by taking a life, right? And, and, and why, and then us eating that animal later, like really teach him the actual process of that. So he did at the age of nine. And I fell in love with the sport all over again because I now see it through his eyes. And it's really cool yeah. to teach him all of that stuff. And like, you know, he was like, dad, I'm, I'm. He, he killed uh, the first time we went when he was nine. He killed the second time when we were with, uh, when we went, when he was 10, we've only gone once now when he was 11. So hopefully we get it the second or third time, this next cool front here coming. And he said the other day, he's like, dad, I'm, I'm really good at this. And I was like, are you, buddy? He goes, well, I got a really good guy. And I was like, yes, you do. <laughs> and he at least recognizes that he's really good at this because I spent 20 years learning this craft at a pretty high level. And then I'm imparting it to him. He's going to be dangerous when he's 18, 19 or 20. Like he'll know at the age of 18, 19 or 20, what it took me until I was like 41 or 42 to, uh, to know, like, like I may go film him on an elk hunt because he'll be, he'll be dangerous. And, and, and I, the reason I know that is, I've been with Corey Jarvis and I watched his boys grow up from 2006 until I went back here just in 2022. I would not want his boys hunting my mule deer. Like Corey is really good and his boys are just as good, if not better, because they learned from the master. And anyway, it's kind of cool. That's a full circle way of saying it's really cool to take all of that knowledge I've had over the past two and a half decades and, and share it with my son. Yeah. I think David and I both had that experience with our, with our kids as well. It's just, it's something that brings the passion back. Not that, not that we lost yes. it, but it just elevates it to another level. And what it sounds like though, is that when you were talking about the uh, 50th birthday present to yourself, <laughs> you might have two to pay for there. Yeah, <laughs> right. I better, I, I better save Make my allowance. Three. Hadn't I? Right. Yeah. You guys want to come too? I better save my you guys. Allowance. It's, 33 hour drive from here to Alberta. I just figured it out on MapQuest. 2060 miles <laughs> from <Wow>. Detroit. <laughs> I, I, yeah, that's, that's a long way. How, how far, how many miles did you say? 2060. Yeah. I so would go from through my house. Go ahead. From my house to where Corey is, for Mule Deer, from my house to where Corey is, it's 1800 miles. Yeah. I mean, we flew oh, southwest. So yeah. uh, but, but for elk, I would go to either Arizona, New Mexico, or, um, Taylor, my cousin, so Mark's daughter married uh, Austin Land, whose dad runs uh, Wild Country out there in Utah, and I would I would see about doing something with them because they're they're covered up with the elk, big ones. Yeah, we would we would go through the Upper Peninsula, Tim, into Minnesota, North Dakota, I love it, Saskatchewan, and then Alberta, and then beautiful areas through Edmonton. It's it should be a sweet drive. That's like a pretty cool. uh, I mean, it's far, but that's pretty sweet. 
you know what though as i get older i, I approve the scenery more and it's kind of funny because wade's 30 i'm 44 and this year instead of flying into canada and drive calgary and down to Corey's, i flew into bozeman on southwest and we drove six hours north up to Corey's. Mm. all i literally drove the entire state of montana and wade was That's like cool. what in the heck are we doing i was like i'm taking <laughs> i'm taking the scenic route brother there and i'm go. on vacation yeah. here and it was awesome montana montana was really really pretty absolutely I've gorgeous been there before part, yeah. gorgeous part out of country, country, for sure yep. well jared hey man yeah. thanks for joining us tonight um always a pleasure to talk to you um love to pick your brain on what's going on not only with juries but what's going on with you and how you're hunting and uh, all the tips and tricks that, that that you end up shelling out for us man so thank you so much for thanks, joining man. us here on bow Hunter planet i appreciate it you guys keep doing what you're doing it's impressive so thanks for having me the bow hunter planet podcast would like to thank our outdoor partners for their support it's because of these companies we can keep this show educating entertaining and growing the archery heritage enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at bet mgm sign up using code champion and receive up to fifteen hundred dollars back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet when you register with bet mgm you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features live betting options and the best daily promotions in the business and with bet mgm at your fingertips every play and every game matters more than ever remember to use code champion and receive up to fifteen hundred dollars back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C., at Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success.